CLNSRadio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Legends are made in the NFL, and the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Two minutes, second down and six. Brady, quick throw, and complete. first down. Right here on CLNSRadio.com. It's on the Jet defense again in a 24-24 tie. They rush four. Romo rolling right through, right side right. From the gun, Brady underneath. Oh, Walker just took a shot from Browner. Brady, this is the end zone, wide open, touchdown to Edelman, his second of the day. He may be hurt third and long. That ball just thrown up, but somehow caught. What a catch by Brandon LaFell, who's already got a touchdown today. Oh, get excited. Get excited, Patriots Nation. Welcome to Patriots Beat on CLNSRadio.com. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. I'll be joined again today by Bob Snowden, at SnowdenBob on Twitter. Of course, you can follow CLNS on Twitter at, at CLNS Radio. Of course, also on Facebook, like us, www.facebook.com slash CLNSFans. Call in number today, 347-215-7771. We have a great guest joining us in about 15 minutes, Chris Price, football writer from WEEI.com. You can follow him on Twitter at at CPriceNFL. Again, what a crazy week it is. Free agency kicked off on the Tuesday afternoon. Patriots fans Tuesday night were ready to jump off the Gillette Stadium water tower. They couldn't understand what was happening. Akib Tlaib was gone. Uh, T.J. Ward was signed by the Denver Broncos, and everyone was sitting there going, oh, the Patriots, nothing's going to happen. Well, as you heard right there in the open, four guys have now come into the Patriots. Darrell Revis, all-pro, Hall of Fame-worthy defensive back. Brandon Browner, of course, he's going to serve four-game suspension to start the season, but a big, tall, strong defensive back along with the re-signing of Julian Edelman, and finally, later last night, Brandon LaFell, wide receiver from the Carolina Panthers, agreed to a three-year, $11 million deal with the New England Patriots. Without further further ado, I will bring in my co-host today, Bob Snowden. Bob, how are you? I'm doing good. I just wonder if we'll have enough to talk about today to really fill the whole hour. <laughs> you know, sometimes you wonder what's going to happen in the... Uh, in in the off season, but it has been nothing short of amazing. Three hundred sixty five days a year, fifty two days a week, fifty two day, fifty two I mean, days a week. Come on actually, now, <laughs> this actually feels like regular season. There's so much going on. I've never um, seen an off season that exploded as much as this did this past week. And I know the Patriot fans that are listening in, and and those that follow either you or I on on Twitter. It's just been a madhouse, and a fun madhouse. As you mentioned earlier, uh, 
Tuesday night and early Wednesday, Patriot fans, and I used the word earlier, angry, and I know you you chided me back and said, <laughs> well, I wasn't angry. Frustrated was the word I should have used because and of I wasn't what was frustrating. happening. And, yep. And, and to see how the Patriots responded and what they've done is, you know, almost almost unbelievable. No one thought that they would ever have Revis, and yet here he is a Patriot. And Browner, from the other side, if the two of them are playing, you know, at the same time, and I don't, I don't see Browner as an everyday cornerback. Maybe you think differently, Jeff, and I'd be interested in your opinion. But I do see him as playing a large role, and he is such an intimidating force. Uh, did you did you see the tweet I sent of the wingspan uh, of his arms that uh, <laughs> yeah, sure I forget did. whether it was Mike Reese or someone printed? Unreal. Definitely. Yeah, you got to look at at Snowden Bob. Look back a couple of tweets, you'll see the wingspan. The guy has a wingspan like a like a small Cessna. It's insane. I, I compared it. I compared it to Kevin McHale. For those of you that are Celtics fans too, if you remember. We used to joke because his arms were so long. And if ever you saw him in person, his arms were long. I mean, as he held his arms down at his side, they went down to his knees. And, and you know, he was, what, six, eight, I think, something like that. So that makes a big difference. The other thing that I saw, and we can talk when Chris comes on, uh, that, that Chris and others pointed out is, despite the fact that, that Seattle was so penalty-prone, uh, he was not a major he, – he didn't have a whole bunch of penalties left. He had less than Talibat for the Patriots. Yeah. So, so as far as costing your team in the game uh, for dumb plays, no. He's, uh, you know, he, he is physical, which is what all of us were saying, and, and I know, Jeff, you too, we were all saying – you know, I really, we, they really need a physical presence out there. Well, yeah, he's going to miss the four games, but so what? He is such a physical presence. Oh, and, and, and the fact that the younger cornerbacks can now learn from a Darrell Revis, from a Brandon Brown, the guys that have been around, and Browner especially, because this is a guy that came into the league after the 2005 season as an undrafted rookie free agent, signed by Denver, let go, went up to the CFL, and then got his big break in 2011. So this is three-year, $17 million deal. This is his first big payday. I'm excited to see what this kid, this kid can do. Um, you know, Some people said, oh, well, you know, oh, they can move him to strong safety. And while I do believe that that is a possibility, you're taking away one of the big things that he does, which is get his hands and his mitts on a receiver. What I have said is I'd like to see him used in a big nickel situation, pretty much how they used to use Rodney Harrison, who would come in and, and really put his hands and, and use his physicality against the smaller, quicker slot receivers, and, and I expect big things from there. And it's crazy, Bob, because you said, you know, we didn't even think about Revis. We didn't even mention him on last week's show, because that's how far of an, an outcry that I thought that, that Revis ever coming to the New England Patriots was. Well, I, and, and it's funny because I, having been on a, a different show a couple of weeks ago as a guest, and Murph uh, was on that show, and I threw out Revis's name, and he exploded. I don't want him. I'm, I'm anxious, uh, and, and I'm going to be a guest on their show uh, this coming week. I'm, I'm anxious to see whether he has changed his, his thought pattern 
uh, about Revis now that he is a Patriot. But I, we all hated him. I mean, Revis was, you know, the ultimate hated Jet. He was cocky. He was, you know, he disrespectful of the Patriots and all those things. And obviously he was just running his mouth because the Patriots were the team he ran to as soon as he could get there. Uh, exactly. Which shows that he did respect uh, them. There was, a, there was a video of him and Gronk uh, <laughs> back a few years ago when someone asked uh, him about uh, Belichick and his and comment uh, was, was not complimentary. I think it was it was jerk. <laughs> I think that was funny. yeah. That's it. You know that's it. Yeah, that uh, that was funny. You know, and what a difference uh, a change of laundry, putting on a clean shirt, does for you. Uh, now I think Darrell Rivas is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Of course, we could have some different opinions uh, next year if he gets burnt for a touchdown, this and that. But uh, right now, Darrell Rivas to me is just a, a signing that I tell you. I haven't seen a signing like this by the New England Patriots in a very long time. Going back, I can't remember this type of signing in the Bill Belichick era. I mean, yeah, you could say Randy Moss coming here, but that was a trade. There hasn't been really a free agent signing. I mean, Rosie Colvin was a good linebacker, and so was uh, so was Adelius Thomas. He ended up being kind of a, a bust here, but this is a very exciting, very exciting signing. And and what they did. The fact that they made it, you know, it came out originally as a one-year, $12 million deal, uh, and now it's actually a two-year, $32 million deal. And, and I, I've heard some people with mixed emotions on here. I kind of looked at it uh, because, of course, the Patriots were able to take uh, $10 million of that, make it into a signing bonus so they could put the cap hit down to $7 million. So it, it wasn't, you know, a big $12 million hit. So next year... The Patriots either have to pay Darrell Revis $20 million, counting $25 million against his cap, or let him walk. And people are like, oh, hey, no, no. Hey, Jeff, have you seen, though, anywhere that the actual contract has been finalized? Because I haven't. It has not been finalized yet, and I'll get into that in a minute and why it has not. Um, well, and my, my feeling is, and, and we can get into that in a minute, maybe with Chris, but the fact that it hasn't been, I think, is a plus. Because I think behind the scenes, they're looking at restructuring it already so that they can get something more long-term. They could be doing that already. Um, here's here's the big thing. What I've looked at it the whole time is people said, oh, they've lost their ability to franchise him. I've looked at it and said, no, they haven't. What they've, what they've done to themselves is very simple. Next year, that $25 million can very, very simply be moved into the signing bonus and in a long-term deal, or they let him walk, either or. And the reason I think it hasn't been finalized yet is exactly what we've seen over the last three days, the Edelman signing, the signing of Brandon LaFell, the signing of uh, Brandon Browner. These guys have com- come in here, and the, I'm sure the Patriots are still internally discussing things with Vince Wilfork and internally discussing what they should do with a guy like Dan Connolly, the right guard who has a very high cap number, Uh, a guy like uh, Adrian Wilson who came in last year was kind of a a three-year deal, and what could they do with that? So right now I think that they're looking around at what they can do, and they're slotting these contracts just right so that they can still have a little bit of playroom, you know, a little bit of, all right, a little bit of flexibility. Oh, this guy's on the market. Let's go grab him. 
And I would expect it's just all but a formality now for for Revis to sign up. Oh, I agree with that. I don't I I don't see anything happening that he isn't playing for the Patriots this year. I just it, like I said, the thing is trying to read into it. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right, Jeff. I think part of that is them structuring everybody's contract because they're really not announcing the layout of the contracts. Even with Edelman, they haven't actually put out how it's distributed, how much of it is, you know, pure salary, how much is guaranteed. And I, I agree with you 100%. I think that's all part of them making sure they've got this thing set up for the salary cap. One thing they did do with Rebus, though, uh, and Mike Reese mentioned it in his column earlier today, uh, was they backloaded, something they've never done before and said they wouldn't do, and, and you were talking about a moment ago, was, was them backloading it and making it what's referred to as a fake contract, meaning that that contract is not going to go the way it's originally set up. Uh, and, the, and the Pats have never done that before. You were saying they've never seen a signing like this before, and that's probably part of the reason uh, is in order to have these dollars all work, they had to really do some maneuvering. Uh, but, you know, I think everyone pretty much agrees, except Denver fans, that the Patriots made out better with Revis than Denver ended up with Mr. Tlaib. And no disrespect to Akeem Tlaib. I mean, I sang the praises of him all year long on the Patriots postgame show, and I think Akeem Tlaib is a great cornerback. Darrell Revis is the best man-to-man cornerback in the NFL, and you know, all apologies to Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman's only been doing it for two or three years. Darrell Revis has been the best shutdown cornerback since he came into the league out of Pittsburgh after the 2007 season. Going to be uh, 29 years old this year. I- I'm excited. I'm really excited. Well, I mean, that's the big. And point. I know you don't believe in statistics unless they work in your favor. What? <laughs> <laughs> But if you look at Revis's statistics, they're spectacular. I mean, I mean there's there, there's just it, it's hard to understand how he could possibly have fallen to the Patriots. And even the big name sports writers, uh, the Claytons, and they they're going, how did the Patriots ever pull this off? I, it's pretty amazing. Okay. Jeff, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on one of my rants a little bit here right now. Since we talked about Tlaib, my, my, my gripe with Tlaib is not what he did with the Patriots, because I, I, like you, thought, if healthy, man, this guy is coming back, I hope, and I really thought he would come back based on conversations that had been had between him and the Patriots on how they they were talking friendly and saying good things. But, man, the minute he left, he started to say some things, and I went, wait a minute. Why do you have to bash the team you're leaving? Especially when that team took you from Tampa when no one else wanted to take a chance on you and, and you know, gave you the money over these two years, maybe not as much as you would have made if you hadn't have been in as much trouble as you were in prior to, to coming to the Patriots. But, you know, when you leave – to make some of the comments he made, and, and the one that really, I think, bothered me the most was when he said, I want to go where I'm wanted. And and it's like, wait a minute. Supposedly the Patriots offered you $10 million. 
And and these players that go into free agency, if they would just say, hey, I went where the money was, I think all of us would be happy. I wouldn't have been upset with Tlaib if he said, look, they offered me more money and a better package, and I came. But to say, oh, I wanted to go where I was wanted, it's not like he wasn't wanted in New England, and it's not like the Patriots didn't want to keep him. They just had certain boundaries. And fortunately, you know, Rivas ended up being the fallback. I don't think there was any collusion going on between the Patriots and Tampa so that they already knew they had a shot at Rivas or with Rivas's agent. Uh, but but I, it just bothered me when he left, and the whole indication from him was, well, he wasn't wanted in New England, so now I've gone where I feel wanted in Denver. And then that, that last parting poke, that he took on Belichick uh, about, uh, you know, the Patriots have their own way of reporting injuries. <laughs> My hip was not injured uh, during the last season. And, oh, yeah. I mean, anyone that watched Patriot games, if it wasn't his hip, it sure looked like it, and he was injured, whether it was his oh. hip or not. So I, I, I just lost a lot of respect for Tlaib that I had had. And it's not because he went to Denver. It's because the way he talked about going to Denver. Exactly. Well, Bob, joining us on the line right now is uh, WEEI out of Boston football writer Chris Price. And you can follow him on Twitter at CPriceNFL. Chris writes, of course, for WEEI.com. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing this afternoon? Couldn't be better. Could not be better. Chris, let me ask you right now. Uh, before you came on, Bob and I were talking about uh, the Darrell Revis contract, and it still has not been finalized on the uh, NFL waiver wires and all that sort of stuff. Uh, any insight to that? I wouldn't sweat it too much. I, I know that we're, we're dealing with, and it, we, the, the, the Brandon Browner situation was similar to it, that, that there are lots of logistical considerations that you have to take into account when you're putting together a deal like this. This is not just sitting down at a table and, you know, saying, okay, we'll pay you X amount of dollars over X amount of years, okay, sign on the bottom line. There's lots of different possibilities going on here. There's also, frankly, the possibility. We, we do know that he is a member of the Patriots. We saw his business manager tweet that out the other day. Um, but but I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I, again, it's, it's, it's all logistics at this point. It's all making sure that the, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. So I, it, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. But, again, it's just one of those situations where, they're just taking great pains to make sure that everything, you know, all the language is where it needs to be. Chris, it's kind of like a fake contract to a point, though, where they've backloaded so much of the money. Do you think yeah, what they're yeah, doing yeah. now and, is... And I, I read the piece from, from Mike Reese today, and I, and I think he had it spot on, where there's... It, it's it's interesting language. It's not your traditional contract. Again, this is not a situation where, you know, it, it's a very easy contract to draw up. There's, there's lots of different possibilities here. There's lots of different things. You know, there's lots of very specific language here, and, and that's one of the things where you know a, a lot of it is being backloaded. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how all this shakes out. Again, I, I don't think it's a question as to you know whether or not he's going to get signed. I think that's a, a done deal. But I, I, I'm very interested to see the language in the contract once it comes out. And, and you know, we, we've all kind of reported uh, the indications you know to, to this point what, what things look like, but. It is. It's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out and whether we're, we're back here again this time next year wondering about uh, Darrell Rebus's future, long-term future, in a, in a Patriots uniform. Do you think possibly that, this, this delay is trying to work out a long-term deal? 
Yeah, I think there's a very real possibility that that's the case. I, I don't put it this way. I don't think the Patriots would be interested in picking up Darrell Rivas for one year as a rental player. I, I think, and I heard used the analogy the other day on Comcast, I think it's spot on. I think there are a lot of similarities here to when they acquired Randy Moss back in 2007. Of course, they you know they made a deal for Moss, and they were able to pick up Rivas after he was cut. But in, in terms of who he is and the spot that he occupies in the league, uh, as well as, you know, what they want to do long-term with him. I think that there's some similarities there. You remember with Moss, he had a one-year deal, and then after that one-year deal, he signed a three-year deal to return to New England after the 2007 season. So I think there's some similarities there. So, uh, again, it's, it's one of those things. It's not a, it's not a simple contractual situation. Uh, it, it never seems to be with these elite players. So I think there's some similarities there, and I do think ultimately, to answer your question, I think that's, that, that could very well be one of the things that, that's holding this thing up right now, that they're looking about the possibility of trying to get him signed to a long-term deal. Now, Chris, the, another guy that came back, or signing or re-signing, should it be, Julian Edelman. Uh, when news broke yesterday, really, I thought we were getting the second coming of, you know, Calvin Johnson, Megatron. We got <laughs> Minitron back. Now, believe me, oh, yeah. I really I like Julian Edelman a lot. Uh, but I kind of think that his production last night was last year was the fact that he was the only wide receiver to stay healthy for 16 games. What is your sense of what the contract's going to be? Because I have not seen any numbers right now and what he'll be able to do the next three years in New England. I think a really good comparison for Edelman, not a really, the, the, the closest comparison that we know of right now in this marketplace to Julian is Robert Steele in, in Washington, D.C. And he signed with the Redskins for four years, $16 million, I believe eight of it was guaranteed. And that's a pretty good comp, I think, when you're, when you're looking at a guy. Obviously, Roberts didn't have the great year that Edelman had last season, but Roberts has demonstrated his ability to stay healthy. He has like four straight years of at least 40, 40 catches. He has some special teams value. Um, so I think a bit of it is a wash. I, I, I think that you're, you're talking about an Edelman deal. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the neighborhood of three years, $12 million with maybe six or seven guaranteed. Um, I, I think he is more valuable to the Patriots than he would be in other spots. I, I think ultimately, and, and I think that was kind of borne out as, as you looked around the league and you realized that it was kind of a softer market for him. I think some of that had to do with the, the Steve Smith market, and I think the fact that, that, that Smith went to Baltimore may have precluded Edelman from uh, drawing any sort of interest at all from the Ravens. But I, I, I do think that, that people should be excited about it because, again, like you said, he was able to stay healthy. I, I'm, one thing I, I do want to check out, and, and I want to see if, if this is the case when you're looking at his contract, I wonder if there are any similarities to his contract uh, to, to what the, the Patriots did last year with Sebastian Vollmer in that they were able to kind of insert some time incentives in there to guard themselves against injury because while Edelman was – able to stay healthy the entire season last year, that was really the first time over the course of his career where he's been able to put together a full, full, full 16-game season. So I think what the Patriots want to be able to do is, is basically want to be able to see from him is a consistent ability to stay healthy and ability to stay on the field, not just for one season, but for multiple seasons. Well, and one of the things that I, I happen to notice you're seeing more and more this year mentioned in the contracts are escalating dollars based on how many games you play. Tlaib's contract supposedly has that in it, as does again, I know it hasn't been finalized Revis, so that there is coverage 
of, hey, you know, I, you've got a history of, of injuries, and we need some kind of coverage for that. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think that may be part of the Edelman deal is, okay, if you play 14 games, you suddenly make this bonus 15 games, 16 games, that type of thing, because his history hasn't been good before this year as far as health. Yeah, I, I do, and I, I think that's a great point. I, I think when you're talking about teams wanting to guard themselves against the possibility of a player going down, I think it works out very well. Now, the flip side to that is a player might say he's ready to go, not just teams to, you know, guard players against injury, and, they're, you know, they're, they're putting themselves into harm's way. But at the same time, I, I think that when you're talking about players who have had injury issues, you're not talking about everyone across the league, but when you're talking about players who had health issues over the course of their career, look, Sebastian Vollmer's a great right tackle. Yeah, in my opinion, one of the best right tackles in the league. But at the same time, he's had back problems. He's foot. You know, he's had injury issues. Being able to get a deal done between the two sides last year at this time was the fact that, that they were able to put that language in the contract and, and, reach, and, and set up playtime incentives. So, yeah, I think to your point, I think more and more teams are doing that. But I, I don't think you need to do it with everyone case of Edelman until when you look at their injury histories. I think it just makes sense for the teams involved. Chris, the other guy that was signed, of course, last night was Brandon LaFell, the uh, fourth-year wide receiver, coming from the Carolina Panthers. Uh, had a very good season last year with 49 catches for 637 yards. Is this the type of guy that the Patriots can count on? We've seen the Patriots bring in free agent wide receivers in the past in the Bill Belichick era, going all the way back to Donald Hayes after the 2002 season, that haven't just been able to get it. They, have, they haven't been able to get it. Is this the type of guy that can get it, that can pick up, the complexity of the New England Patriots options uh, offense. I'll, I'll say this: my first gut reaction to, to the signing is that he is a step up from the group that they brought in the last couple of years. The, you know, the, the Michael Jenkins, the Lavelle Hawkins, uh, the Donald Joneses, those guys. I, I think demonstrated an ability to put up some pretty good numbers over the course of his career, culminating with, I, I believe, he said career highs in catches and touchdowns last year with the Panthers. Um, I, I do. I, I think that there's reason to be optimistic. I want to see him in the field. I want to see him go through the spring workouts in the passing camps and see how he interacts with the team and you know, get to talk to him, kind of get a sense of, of who he is, where he is. But everything that we've seen to this point seems to suggest that, that he would be able to, to find some success in that offense. I think a relative level of expectation, look, it's way too to start doing this, but I think a relative level of expectation is um, a 40 catch a year guy. He's not going to be a number one guy. His background suggests there's a that he's played both in the slot and outside, that he's had a, a, a relatively successful career playing for a team, had a young, occasionally a, still been able to put up some decent numbers. So I want to see him in the offense. I want to see him work with Brady. I want to see, uh, you know, see how he complements guys like Amendola and Edelman and Gronkowski and Vereen and all those other elements in the passing game. With gut reaction to the signing is he's he's a bit better than the veteran wide receivers that they picked up over the last couple of years. Well, the one thing it does do is for years the Patriot fans have been yelling, why can't they bring in someone big, someone tall? Well, he falls into that category. At least that'll ease uh, all the hollering for a a tall receiver that that is bigger than the backs that are that are trying to cover him. Um, 
and again, this is one of those, I think, Chris, it's going to be interesting to see how the contract reads because all of the players you mentioned before that they had bought in as wide receivers and they had signed during the offseason, they dumped before the season began. And I'm wondering whether they would have the ability to do that without a big hit. Um, even though this uh, is exactly, a Bob, I, I think that's a great question. I, I mean, we haven't seen the numbers yet. We haven't seen the specific numbers yet. So I, I think really the bottom line when you're talking about something like that is guaranteed money. I think they'd be more inclined to to, to keep a guy around. You know, let's let's be honest. Contracts, you know, in some form or fashion, always seems to play into it, um, whether whether it's good or bad. But so I, I think that they might be more inclined to to keep him around if there's a larger cap hit. Um, but but yeah, I I, I do. I think ultimately, I think he's a guy who is who is a little better, at least at this stage of his career, than some of those other guys that they've been able to bring in off the street the last couple of seasons. Speaking of contracts, Chris, uh, we can't not talk about contracts and not talk about Vince Wilfork. Of course, he asked for his release the other day. Uh, has not been finalized. He has not been released as of yet. What's going on with Vince Wilfork? You know. Uh, preface this by saying that I'm an admitted Vince Wilfork apologist. I think he is a borderline Hall of Famer, and I think he is one of the most important people when you're talking about the success the franchise been off the field for the last dozen or so years. That being said, I, I think at this stage of his career, both he and the team need to give a little bit. I, I think that they need to, to meet in the middle. I, I think that when you're talking about an, a defensive lineman over the age of 30, who is at this stage of his career, who is coming off a, a season-ending Achilles injury, I think he needs to kind of backpedal a little bit on, on what he sees as his relative worth. And, you know, it, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a Vince apologist, but I think he see the reality of the situation. And also at the same time, I think the team needs to realize that, that Vince is an absolute foundation. Uh, he's, he's a pillar. In, in my experience, there have only been a handful of guys in that locker room. You know, the offensive guys hang out with the offensive guys, and the defensive guys hang out with the defensive guys, and they really don't cross over. A handful of guys in that locker room over the last dozen or so years, guys like Kevin Falk and Junior Seau, who when they not just not just going to be interesting to see how to go about filling that leadership void without him there. But right now, as I understand, he has asked for his release, and you know, we talked about. The, the 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 Reba situation. I wonder if some of that, some some of Vince's contractual situation might be tied up in what's going on with the Reba situation. I, I, I not directly, but you know, if, if we decide to cut Vince loose, does some of that, you know, some of that money could ultimately be paid up to 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 give to Rebus or you know, the other thing too, frankly, when you're talking about Vince in that situation, is they don't have to release him. You know, they don't have to release it now. You know, financially, if it isn't, uh, you know, a, a must deal. I mean, if they're if they're in season deep when it comes to the cap, they can't let them go until you know the week before training camp starts. Bruce to him. So ultimately, for one now, Vince has indeed asked for his release, uh, and really the ball is in the team's court at least at this. Now, can he talk to other teams now or? Is it taboo? Is that tampering? No, until he's, they he's under release? contract. He's under contract for the Patriots. I mean, he's really, uh, it, and it's interesting because he's kind of in limbo at this point. I, I guess the story is, I talked to a, a few other reporters, Vince's on vacation now, and so I think the team might be reticent to pull the trigger on something like this without him, uh, you know, this is not something more quite 
play. You know, he wanted to sit down and, and he had a chip with Robert Kraft, and I'm sure that, that the owner would want to weigh in on something like this. So I, th- there's lots of stuff up in the air right now. You know, the only thing we, we really do know for sure is the fact that he asked for his lease. Again, to your question, they can't, can't talk to other teams right now because he's technically still under contract in New England. Let me throw another name out. You and your column this morning were were talking about some different players, and the one that kind of jumped out at me, you mentioned, uh, and, and the, the connection with Rutgers, uh, was that wide receiver that uh, Brandon Coleman. Tell me, tell me a little bit about him. Is is he a legitimate prospect? Or yeah, mid round guy. I, I would, you know, I might be. Uh, from, from what I understand and from talking to him and talking to his agents, there's a feeling out there that he is probably uh, a, a late second day, early third day, which would put him in the third or fourth round at this point. Um, he's a guy. I mean, he is a big I mean, he's, he, he looks. He almost looks like a tight end, really. I mean, he's you know he's over six feet, hundred pounds. I mean, he's a big dude. So uh, I, he is. He's a legitimate prospect, and I think that. You know, you don't have to work too hard to connect the dots there because, the, you know, the Patriots figured they need a little help at wide receiver. They need to build up. They need to get a, a bigger body in there. And this is just too good to be. You know, you talk about the Patriots' Rutgers connection. I mean, Ben McDonald, you know, Josh McDonald is, is, is the wide receiver coach for Rutgers. I mean, if, if they don't take him, I, I don't know what we're going to do here because it seems to make too much sense. You know, if they're – if they earmark him as a fourth round guy and someone picks him up, you know, before they, you know, they, they have a chance in the fourth round, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's, you also mentioned that you call him that, that uh, Ben McDaniels, the, the brother of uh, Josh McDaniels, happens to be the Rutgers wide receivers coach. So there's, there's another link beyond the fact that Belichick just likes Rutgers players. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's, it's it's amazing when you think about it. it. It almost makes too much sense. Like I said, so I, I want to see how it all plays out. But but yeah, I mean, he certainly at least projects to me as the kind of guy who could help out in New England. Oh, exactly. Now switching up from the sexy positions. Anyone who's ever listened to the show that follows me on Twitter knows that I am a big offensive line type of guy, and I'm a little concerned right now with the offensive line for the Patriots with uh, with Dan Connolly uh, in the final season at right guard and. Ryan Wendell, uh, of course, being a free agent, and Dante Scarnecchia no longer there to coach the team. What can the Patriots do to solidify that line? And does a guy like Alex Mack from Cleveland have any shot at all of at finding his way to Foxborough? I think Mack might be a little bit out of their price range right now. I, I agree with you when when you know it, it, it sounds like you know, and it sounds like you feel the same way I do. If you're looking for a free agent center, he's probably your best bet. But I think ultimately he's going to be a little bit out of their price range. I think this is a way, you know, I think ultimately they they go after a guy. They'll, they'll probably pick up a relatively lower-level free agent, um, even if they don't re-sign one of their own guys. I know Will Svitek has, has expressed an interest in coming back, and he's, you know, kind of a versatile guy, and, you know, he might be able to play play a couple roles. Not Not saying he's going to be a starter, but, you know, you know, kind of fill in there, and he's a guy who knows the system. Um, a, a guy who really stood out to me at the Combine from talking to him and, and watching tape on him is a kid out of UCLA, a guard and a tackle named Xavier Suofilo, uh, who expressed an interest. It was funny talking to him because he talked about how he, his, his role model is Logan Mankins, and he said, Logan's a badass, man. I want to play just like him. 
And so if you're looking at a guy to maybe step in along that interior, does have that interior experience with plates and tackle as well, we all know that they love those versatile offensive linemen in Foxborough. He might be one of those guys who might be available there in the third round for you. But I don't think they're going to do a whole lot. I think they like where they are with a lot of those guys. I, I agree with you on the fact that you need to address Conley's situation, whether or not you give him an extension or you let him walk after this year. Um, I, I think that they would be happy with letting him play out his option and then seeing, you know, seeing how things shake out from there. Um, I also think, frankly, I, I know that he's not a pro bowler, but for what they ask him to do, Ryan Lindell's not bad. I mean, you get pretty good value right there. I know Patriots fans hate that phrase, but you get pretty good value at that spot, you know, considering what you pay him. So, uh, you know, they like the situation. They're not going to, you know, they have to overpay for one of those free agent tackles that are on the market. Um, the left guard spot, you know, they're pretty good there are questions, again, long-term questions about Conley and then short-term questions about Wendell, but there's some available guys in that free agent market who, who might be attractive to them. It's actually really interesting. You talk about the offensive line. This is a great year to be a tackle, and I wrote that today. It, not just a free agent tackle, but there, there are possibly five guys, uh, five tackles who could go in the first round this year. So it's a pretty good year for an offensive lineman out there in the market, um, and, and I think the Patriots might be inclined to take advantage of that in the first round, but maybe in the, say, in the, the second, third, or fourth rounds. One of the things that, that Jeff loves are running backs. And you're calling today, mentioned that, and I'm, I'm going to quote here, it's a lousy time to be a running back. And <laughs> running backs just aren't going anywhere so far. I, you sound like you think that's a good deal for the Patriots because if they want LeGarrette Blount, it doesn't sound blunt. It doesn't sound like they're going to have to give up a whole bunch to keep him. Um, why are running backs so devalued now? Well, this is the pass-first NFL. And I think that the traditional running back, the between-the-tackles, you know, 5'11", 230-pound guy, you know, I don't think that those guys I don't think that those guys have much of a role in the NFL anymore. I think that the guys, unless you're an Adrian Peterson type, unless you're an Aaron Foster, unless you're a guy who has the resume, you know, consistent 1,000-yard seasons, they're not really looking for guys like that anymore. They're looking for guys who are smaller, who present a little bit more value in the passing game, maybe in special teams. You know, a guy like, and I've thrown this name out a couple of times this year in the pre-draft process, not saying the Patriots are going to go after him, but Bishop Sankey. He's a smaller guy. Washington uh, has demonstrated consistent ability both in the passing game and the running game. He's, you know, he's shown that he can be versatile. So the, the traditional running back really is no more. And, and I've written about this a couple times, actually, over the last couple of months. It's interesting because we've gone from 10 years ago, there were like a dozen guys who, who, who had 300 carries in a season. This past year, there are only two. So I think that shows you a little bit about the overall devaluation of the process. Um, I do think ultimately the Patriots will be able to get LeGarrette Blunt back on a relatively short deal if he wants to come back. Uh, I think the money is going to be competitive out there. But I can see like a two-year deal, relatively short money with him returning to Foxborough. Have you had any indication that he doesn't want to come back? No. You know what's interesting, too, that, that there's been really radio silence when you, when, when you talk about Blunt's situation. No one is really saying much of anything out there. Uh, I think part of it is the fact that the Patriots want to get some other guys done. Obviously, you know, Edelman, Tlaib, Revis, Browner, you know, those they, they put a priority on those situations. Um, but, yeah, it, it's interesting. We haven't heard much about Blunt's situation. We don't know really what's going on with him, at least at this point. So 
Um, I imagine that's going to be a situation that's going to be addressed in the second stage of free agency, really. Chris, final question from me, and I'm not the type of person that looks at other teams and, and says, oh, this team did this, this team did that. You know, you hardly ever win a Super Bowl in March. You've got to win it in February. That being said, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are looking at what the Denver Broncos have been able to do over the last week of free agency and what the Patriots have done. At this point right now, who has the better team, in your opinion? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think healthy. I think all things being equal, I think if both the Patriots and the, and the, Red, and the Redskins, the, the Broncos were healthy, um, you know, I might give a slight edge to the Patriots just because of Gronkowski uh, and yeah. the fact that we didn't see him at all last year in, in, in Mayo and, you know, the, the guys that they didn't have late last season. I, I would have to give a, a slight edge to the Patriots in that regard. That's a great question. I, I think it's when you look at the, the overall team-building approach that both sides have taken, you know, it's clear that the Broncos, you know, are, are really kind of pushing all the chips in the middle of the table because they know that they only have a couple years left with Peyton. But it, it's been interesting to see how the Patriots have kind of, you know, tweaked their, their, their style a little bit here this year because, you know, going after Revis, going after Browner, um, they, they've been a little bit more aggressive, at least in my experience, they've been a little bit more aggressive in free agency than they have in the past. But ultimately, right now, I think to answer your question, I think probably the Patriots have a slight edge, but uh, that all can, you know that, that that all remains to be seen because we also have the draft in front of us and waivers and trades and all that. So a long time between now and the start of September. My final question, uh, Chris, is you're hearing a lot of people talking about how great it is to have Browner and they can move him back to that strong safety spot and since they don't have Gregory anymore. What, what do you think? that Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it, it does. But I, 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 when the, the deal first went down, I was really hot on that idea. I, I thought that, oh, you know, he's done it before. Watching him play, it, it, I, I've started to kind of cool off a little bit. I, I think he still might be better served as a cornerback. I'm not saying that they wouldn't try it, at least you know, when they get on the field and kind of you know, have him go through the rotations and, 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 you know, at least kind of give him a shot at the position. He's played it before. He played it in Denver when he first came to the league. So he does have a little bit of experience playing the position at the NFL level. But I think right now, you know, you can still address the strong safety position in a number of ways. I also think, too, that really, I mean, we're, we're talking about guys who are, you know, six foot three inch 220-pound cornerbacks, um, you know, who, who you know, they're the same size as Jamie Collins. So I, I think that when you're talking about pass defense, maybe we need to kind of rethink it a little bit. And you're talking about those nickel packages, and you're talking about defenders who wouldn't necessarily fit into a traditional role. Um, they just have to be given a you know a designation, cornerback, safety, linebacker, whatever, because you have a lot of really interesting guys. Also, the fact that, that Adrian Wilson is still at least under contract for 2014, so he may figure into that picture as well. Um, but I think guys are kind of – we're, we're, we're seeing a shift a little bit. We're seeing an overall shift in, you know, the, the passing game changed a little bit. And so we're seeing an overall shift in, in pass defense as well. So I think you could probably put him into that role. But I think ultimately in, in the end, I think right now, at least right now as it stands, he's better suited to corner. Well, Chris, thank you very much for joining CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. We always like talking to you on anything involving the NFL. So thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it, guys, and I'm glad we could hook it up this time. Thanks, Sounds great. Chris. Take care. We'll talk soon. Well, that, of course, was Chris Price from WEEI.com, NFL football writer. You can follow him on Twitter at at CPriceNFL. And he was brought to you by the CLNS Radio eBlast. 
Text CLNS fans to 22828 for free coverage delivered directly to your inbox. And we got a little uh, something very exciting. For anyone who is part of the eBlast, we're going to be giving a little Julian Edelman memorabilia away. We'll have some more information on that in the coming days. But you need to be a member of the eBlast. Again, that is CLNS fans. And you want to text that to 22828. It's going to give you free coverage directly. Delivered directly to your inbox. And for any Julian Edelman fan out there and for any Patriots fan out there, it's something you're going to want to do. Great great uh, insight there from Chris Price. I wouldn't expect well, nothing well, less. Let, let me, you and I had talked about beforehand one of the things that, that you are a big running back fan. I don't think anyone yes. listening to this show or anyone following <laughs> you on tweet can ever say that, that you don't care about the running game. Chris kind of put you in your place. I'm trying to think of a way to say it nicely. But here's uh, your chance to rebut him because I know you and I were going back and forth earlier this week and, and you've got that magic thirty number in your in your mind and in your research to back it up. So here's your chance. Say why the running back is so important and back it up with some of those statistics you were throwing at me earlier this week. I sure I sure will, and I will be writing a column shortly on the running game and how it has not been devalued in the NFL. Listen, I agree with some of the things that Chris said. The, the 300-carry running back is no longer needed in the NFL. You've seen teams go more to a multi-back set. However, the one thing about the NFL that people – don't quite realize is the fact that the running game is still extremely important. It, it, it helps take pressure off of the defense because they can use the clock up a little bit more. It helps take pressure off the quarterback because you can start using the, the play-action pass. The magic number is 30, and I don't care if it takes one back or ten backs to get there. You know I want ten running backs on my active roster every day. But we, if you've ever listened to me before, and I said it, over and over again, the Patriots were, when they ran the ball 30-plus times, were 10-0 and 0 this season. Well, Bob challenged me on that, saying, well, you know, this and that on, on, on running backs, and, you know, it's a passing league and everything. So I decided, all right, let me, uh, let me do a little more research. So I looked into the Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks, of course, won the, uh, won the Super Bowl this past year, and along the way they were able to win 16 games. In 13 of those 16 games, they ran the ball 30 or more times in the wins that they had. In two of those other games, they ran the ball 29 times. And, of course, the win against the Broncos, they ran the ball 29 times. On the flip side of things, we had a team called the Washington Redskins, 3-13. and 13. Well, you guessed it, fans. The Washington Redskins, on their victories, ran the ball 30 or more times. And then going back to the Houston Texans, a horrible team who finished 2-14 and 14 this year. In their two victories, they ran the ball 28 times each as a team, very close to 30. So I'll be digging down a little deeper. And, yes, I believe the days of the Curtis Martin and the Adrian Peterson and the O.J. Simpson, I believe those days are, are long and gone. But the running game as a whole still is needed. Well, that I will be interested to see your column because you and I have debated this a little bit on the show and off the show over the last uh, few weeks, and I, I'm, I'm not anti-running back. I just 
have trouble believing he's quite as important as as you do, and especially my my little dig at you during the show when Chris was on <laughs> was uh, about taking statistics that you like and they count, and and the other ones don't matter unless they they make your case. So we'll we'll, we'll look at all your statistics because I know you and I, have, I at least I do have a lot of fun on the give and take and and Patriots oh, yeah. Gazette kind of joins in on on some of those, so it's it's kind of a fun time. And I I do like to hear your opinions because times have changed so much. And heck, you are the the football genius here of the twosome. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm the oh yeah really guy, and you're the hey here are the stats and the information. So I respect that. Hey, I heard something this week, and and during free agency, it was it, it was interesting to hear someone say something that that I I felt hey there's a player who gets it. Um, I had done my little rant earlier in the show on a keep to leave and and his reaction on leaving and. And as Chris mentioned, with which Vince Wilfork having to probably decide, you know, gee whiz, am I better to stay here in New England or for a little more money go somewhere else? Well, and I'm certain you saw this too, Jeff. Uh, Steelers veteran cornerback Ike uh, Taylor made the perfect statement, and and I'm quoting him. I'm just happy I've been in the NFL long enough to say I can take a pay cut. Some guys don't ever get paid. I love that. I, I mean, there's a veteran who's been there a long time and realizes what's happening in the game. And and I have the the utmost respect now for Ike Taylor, uh, despite the fact he plays for the Steelers. That is a very good thing to say right there. I mean, you're right. I mean, how many players out there – and we've heard of guys going into bankruptcy after after the NFL because they live that fast and furious life. They, they're not making the forty five, fifty thousand dollars a year that the average American makes. They're making huge, huge money, and it's it's a breath of fresh air to see a guy who not only has the loyalty to his team, but also has, I mean, my guess. I don't know his financials, but my guess is that he's put himself in a, in a very strong place to live comfortably for the rest of his life. That's a nice thing to see. Ike Taylor. I mean, yeah. He's a stealer, but you gotta you gotta sit there and respect guys, you know, from other teams. A guy I want to bring up who I have lost uh, quite a little bit of respect for in the last 24 hours is former Patriot linebacker Brandon Spikes, who signed with the Buffalo Bills earlier this week. And one of his first tweets and is on there is "Free, finally free, free, finally free." Well, Brandon. I know you're probably not listening to the CLS Patriots beat, but if you do, the only thing you're free of is winning. There is no chance in heck that the Buffalo Bills are going to be any good unless they get a good quarterback. And Emmanuel Emmanuel Sanders, but E.J. Manuel is not that quarterback. Let me ask you, as as you, you had mentioned you'd lost respect, I really liked spikes against the running game. But based on what happened when he first came to the Patriots, I didn't have a lot of respect for him to begin with. And I'm referring to the the account that he had out on uh, uh, on uh, what was it you Yahoo, I believe it was. But anyway, it was a, a uh, something that he was reprimanded for very quickly by the Patriots uh, and fans. If you look up his name and search out history, I, I think you can probably find it. So I didn't have a whole bunch of respect for him as a person. 
to begin with, and that wasn't his only issue. I thought one of the funny things was the straw that broke the camel's back in New England was the fact he didn't make it to a practice because he got trapped in a snowstorm. Now, all the other players made it. He didn't. And he goes to Buffalo. Well, let me ask you, do you think they may have some snowstorms in Buffalo? No, no, no. That's the lake effect. There's no snow up there. It's the lake effect. They'll be fine. <laughs> cold, cold, windy, and snowy are my memories of Buffalo, and I used to uh, to to go there fairly often. Not, you know, maybe four or five times a year for business meetings. Uh, and and I don't dislike the Bills. I have no. In fact, I keep thinking each year the Bills are the team that has improved the most and is going to be the biggest challenge. And then they keep falling apart. So. I, 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 it's not a Bills thing, but I do. I did get a kick out of that since, uh, since that's the reason he ended up leaving New England was after he missed that practice. Um, one other thing I was going to bring up real quickly: as you look now, who's still out there? Jeff, do you have anyone you're going? Hmm. I, sh- I and I know we've talked before about uh, uh, the pass rush. Anyone out there you think there's a legitimate shot at getting that that would help the pass rush? I still some way, somehow, find Jared Allen is going to make his way to the New England Patriots. Uh, it's been quite quiet on him. He's made some visits out there. But with his former defensive line coach now being the defensive line coach in New England, I, I just, for some reason, I think they go out and they grab him. Because um, he would be exactly what they need to give Rob Nikovich and Chandler Jones a break. If you could get a solid three-man rotation working there, that would be really exciting. Now, do you think that the need may be lessened a little bit because of the signing of Revis and Browner because the secondary will be so much stronger, and I I really do think it's going to be tremendously stronger this coming year, uh, that that maybe that's going to give the quarterback some hesitation to throw balls that in the past they haven't been hesitating to throw, uh, and, and especially the long ball, do you think maybe that's going to actually help the pass rush just having those guys at cornerback? Well, you know, Bobby, you're right there because it can help in both ways. The pass rush helps out the secondary. The secondary helps out the pass rush. A lot of times you'll be sitting there and there'll be, you know, uh, coverage sacks because the coverage was so great that it's four or five seconds down the line and your offensive line cannot hold that long against guys that are, that are pushing against them. And, and you'll get up and you'll get some coverage sacks. There's also defensive pressures, which I believe is, for a defensive lineman, is just as important, if not more important, than the sack. I mean, a sack is great. It's a negative play. There you, there you go. But not often on a sack you have a, you have a turnover. Uh, if you have a defensive pressure, if you go back no further than the Super Bowl this past year with the uh, way that the Seattle Seahawks played the Denver Broncos, they only had one sack on Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning was underneath constant pressure the entire game he threw a pick six. He threw. There was a, another fumble. You know, these are the type of things that pressure defense can can add. And I think with what the Patriots have done now, they've been able to move into more of being able to play man up. And and you said earlier today, and and I'm not sure how much I agree with you or not about Brandon Browner maybe not playing every down. Now he's not, definitely not going to play for the first four weeks of the season, but I think you're going to see him lined up right on that number two wide receiver and playing man-up coverage with a cover two deep shell uh, in the backs. Two uh, two safeties playing back on a cover two deep. I think you're going to have a lot of safety help uh, in the middle of the field covering the um, 
the tight ends, you'll be able to have a guy like Darrell Revis and a guy like Brandon Brown and be able to go one-on-one against the other team's best receivers. So I'm excited about it, but I do still think you need to get the pass rush because, listen, no, even the best corner, even the best corner, like a Darrell Revis, like a, a Richard Sherman, like Ty Law when he was here, even the best cornerback gets beat because he doesn't know where the wide receiver is running. So it'll be interesting. They go hand-in-hand. In hand. I still think the uh, pass rush is a, is a tremendous need. Another thing I've seen a lot of the the people that follow sports from the inside mention, and I honestly hadn't thought of this, Jeff. I don't know whether you did or not, but how much having Revis and Browner will help someone like Dotson, who now has to practice against those guys and and gives him a little more sense of, of who the defenders and the good defenders are and what they can do, and increase, increases his skills as a receiver, although I am very disappointed that they waited so long to do the foot surgery, which now means his off-season training is somewhat limited. Um, but the, the, the impact of those two players on him and other wide receivers, uh, what's your feeling on that? Uh, I could go one of two ways. I mean, we all talked about uh, how the Patriots' offense, when it was when it had, you know, Wes Welker and Randy Moss, and and they were practicing against the Patriots' defense the entire time. I didn't see the Patriots' defense, the backs getting any better because they were playing against better competition in practice. You either have the skill or you don't have the skill. Your coaches have to put you in position to go. So the Patriots. Offense, I mean, Aaron Dobson going up against Revis every day in practice, it could help. Do I think it, it will? I, I think it might. Going on to Aaron Dobson's foot surgery, I saw a lot of people get out. Get out. You were one of them, of course, that, that was all upset about the fact that they waited a long time to do the foot surgery. Um, here's where I go on that. The last thing you want to do is surgery. And now he's going to miss two to three months, and they had the surgery in mid-March, so that brings him in to May and, and, and June. As long as he's back, uh, come time for training camp to start, I don't, I don't see it to be a huge, huge, huge deal. He'll be at the, uh, you know, at the stadium rehabbing. He'll be there working out. He'll be there with the meetings. He just won't be on the field. So, I mean, they waited a month after the season to have it. Maybe they were hoping the stress factor would heal, but, you know, it didn't. So, I'm not, I'm not, Hugely excited that he's going to miss some time in the offseason because I think the big jump is between the first and second year. But at the same point, I don't think it's a huge issue because I think he'll still be a good player from year one to year two. The ability, though, for him to go out now, as Edelman just did, to California and work with Brady, Brady does every year with his wide receivers, is kind of out the window now. And, and I really think that could have helped him and Brady both from a confidence level with each other, the ability to do that. And now that that's not there. So I know they're not starting from scratch. They obviously had a whole season under the belt and, and Brady should be more used to him and he should be more used to Brady. But that's part of why I was really sorry to see him miss the, this opportunity to, to do the things to take that next step as a wide receiver. Uh, I agree with you there. I mean, having him out there with Brady would have been great, but unfortunately, he wasn't. Well, you've been listening to Patriots Beat on CLSRadio.com. You can download us on iTunes or Stitcher by searching CLS Radio. We'll see you next week. Have a great week, everyone.
first choice for Internet Sports Talk Radio, DLNS Radio.